I'm Sonia. I know what I like, and this podcast is a pod blast. We're coming to you from a secret location in a major European capital, and Sid's had way too much caffeine. He was actually telling me, Her Majesty said, Oh, I've said too much. Take it away, Mr. Showbiz. Hi, hello, and how are you? My name's Sid Griffin. You're Riffin' with Griffin. This is our first podcast since I think it was May. We had a podcast devoted exclusively to one artist, Bob Newarth. Never done that before. Anyway, moving right along. We got a new podcast, an autumnal podcast as the leaves turn brown, yellow, orange, and gold. The theme of this podcast is the cutting room floor. What great bands left good songs off their albums? This is primarily, not exclusively, but primarily 60s bands back in the day of the single. And if the single didn't fly or maybe the record company didn't release it, they never made it to the LP. And now looking back with box sets and so on and so forth and this great retrospective obsession of the baby boomers, we're going to find some tunes for some of your favorite bands that many of you, or some of you, I hope, haven't even heard before. Different versions of ones you've never heard before. Didn't make the LP. Let's start right now with The Birds from 1966 with I Know My Rider. I'm going to miss her when I'm gone. Well, I know my rider's
sit with a candle lit on a charcoal pit of dreams. Yet carry on. Though the streets are hot, you can still a lot, but you can walk out and forget there is a time to take a long. But you're now into something that you were immune to before And there wasn't a sign, you just fell into line at the door And the question stands in the palms of hands Of the wretches picking pieces of their minds Up off the floor There is still a trace of the plastic face you hung your moments on And the sudden scare of landing there On the scene that you don't care to even see When you're alone But the day is too short and you can't find support in the slums You would thought you'd decide to just stick out the right as it comes But the emptiness of a thing that's less than what it was thought to be Has left you wondering just how much more What a gutsy track. Who needs the wrecking crew? Great, Hillman's really locked in with Mike Clark. Mike Clark being the drummer. This song's called The Daywalk. It first came out on the Murray Hill reissue. That wasn't even a reissue. Murray Hill put out an, an LP in the, in the, in the mid-80s or late-80s of uh, unreleased bird stuff and uh, it's funny enough i remember the late great gary stewart handed it to me one night outside the music machine which was a venue on pico boulevard i think it's now an appliance store and i had a date with mickey Steele. what a funny thing to remember that you had a date with uh, the Bengals bass player and gary stewart gave it to you but it's true he gave it to me it was on the murray hill label it was a collection of birds outtakes it had the stereo a new stereo mix of tambourine man and i it's flip side i knew i'd want you uh, it had this song called Never Before. And what the story was is Gene Clark had written this song for the Turn, Turn, Turn album. And it had made the LP. That was their second LP from late 1965. Came out in time for the 1965 Christmas season. And Gene had, had not heard it. It was on a missing reel. And then 30 years later, somebody, or 20 years later, somebody played it for him. And he thought, hmm, I'll just call it Never Before because they didn't know the title of it. But the, the correct title of it, as they discovered later, was called The Day Walk. So that's a Gene Clark song we just heard, done by the Birds, his band, from late from September 1965, called The Daywalk. Came out in an LP December 1965, Turn, Turn, Turn. Now, before that, we started the show with I Know My Rider, which is the old folk song. What had happened 
is Gene had left the band after the Turn, Turn, Turn album. He left them in February 1966. They recorded the Fifth Dimension album later on that year without him. He was on uh, the song Eight Miles High. And I think he maybe blew harmonic or sang harmony on something else. But he, basically, he wasn't on most of the LP. So without their main songwriter, the Birds needed some extra help. They did Wild Mountain Time. They did John Riley, uh, two folk songs from their past and their illustrious sort of hard rock fash, slash uh, folk rock way. And they did I Know My Rider. Now, what's weird is I Know My Rider was, was that was a mono version because CBS was going to put it out as a single. And the reason it didn't come out as a single is Crosby and McGuinn thought it sounded too much like Paperback Rider. I kid you not. Paperback Rider. They thought that I know my rider gonna, and all I can kind of hear is Rider, R-I-D-E-R, and W-R-I-T-E. I don't really hear the two songs that sound that uh, similar. That's me making a noise there, gang. I'm so sorry. I'm dropping my jaw with disbelief. Anyway, I know my writer in the day walk from the birds. Let's move it right along. Come on. Stephanie says, by the Velvet Underground. Didn't come out till years later, but it was on the White Light, White Heat Sessions. Stephanie says That she wants to know why she's given half her life To people she hates now Stephanie says Stephanie says When answering the phone Answering the phone What country shall I say is calling From across the world But she's not to die The people all call her Alaska Between worlds so the people ask her Cause it's all in her mind It's all in her mind Stephanie said that she wants to know She wants to know Why it is Though she's the door She can't be alone Stephanie says Stephanie says But doesn't hang up the phone Hang up the phone What seashell see is calling From across the world But she's not afraid to die The people all call her Alaska Between worlds so the people ask her Cause it's all in her mind It's all in her mind They're asking is it good or bad It's such an icy feeling It's so cold in Alaska It's so cold in Alaska It's so cold in Alaska
could that be but Jimi Hendrix? And of course, Mitch Mitchell on drums, you can tell that too. It is the original experience. I don't know that I can say that was positively no Redding, although it is on the bass. Great stereo mix of that. Hendrix is doing like a Nile Rodgers soul thing on the upper frets, treble kind of sound. And then on the, he's doing a more rhythmic thing on the on the lower strings. What a talented guy. Two guitars on that, both played by the great Jimi Hendrix. Okay, we started off with Stephanie Says. That was recorded by the Velvet Underground and, help me Velvet Underground fans, late 67 for, for the uh, album White Light, White Heat. Well, it was certainly for White Light, White Heat. I can't remember when the album came out off the top of my head. It was years later they started doing reissues of Everything and His Brother by the famous baby, baby boomer bands like the Velvets and the Birds and so on and so forth. And uh, somebody turned up Stephanie says, it's polished. It sounds great to me. Uh, I found it again. It was reissued on the White Light, White Heat box set, 45th anniversary box set. Woo, does that age me? The 45th anniversary box set of a Velvet Underground's second album. It's on there and it just sounds professional as can be. I would have put it on the record. I know it was a harsh record with Sister Ray and all that lot, but I heard her call my name. But I, I think it's a great song. Lou Reed had a ton of songs that somebody says something. You know, Candy says, Stephanie says. Years later, Danny Fields... Uh, inspired his charges, The Ramones, to write a song called Danny Says on their Phil Spector album, End of the Century. So I have to have a song called Kevin Stokes Says or Rannon Says. And in fact, maybe if I'd have ever met Lou Reed, he could have had a song called Sid the Squid Says. Sid the Squid Says, I've come to hate my 12-string. It's a, How about Sid the Squid Says, Dodgers having a losing season. It's a shit, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, that was the way Lou Reed wrote them and the way that Dylan started off with some adjectival or adverbial thing with positively 4th Street and, you know, and Zevon answered him with, uh, Warren Zevon answered him with accidentally like a martyr and so on and so forth, temporarily like Achilles on Blonde on Blonde by Dylan. That was kind of Lou Reed's thing. His grammatical thing was having somebody says a bunch of those songs. Right, moved into Hendrix. Staying with the 60s here, pretty much. Jimi Hendrix Experience. That was uh, Mitch, Mitch Mitchell on drums, uh, Noel Redding on bass. It was cut in April 1969. It was put on a separate two-inch reel in 1974 when Eddie Kramer and that crowd were, were going through and, and, and compiling all these reissues for Hendrix and trying to do overdubs and stuff on albums like Midnight Lightning. And just, I don't even want to get into that. Crash Landing, I don't even want to get into those albums. Why you wanted to put a new rhythm section on all those Hendrix tracks, I don't know. But somebody was telling me the other day, well, Hendrix was alive, of course. There were the three Experience albums. And then he died right when Cry of Love came out. So let's say there's four albums done in Jimmy's lifetime, right? Four Jimi Hendrix albums. Somebody was telling me the other day, including hits packages, there's now something like 45 or 46 Jimi Hendrix albums out there. I mean, did someone, as Bill Inglot once told me, did someone follow Hendrix around the streets recording every passing thought the guy had? Lullaby for the Summer is that brilliant Hendrix song. It's obviously unfinished. I'll bet there was words for it. It finally appeared, after getting lost in 1974, as I said, it finally appeared in 2010 on a reissue album called Valley of Neptune, which was primarily unreleased stuff that was found in various reels and, and tin cans 
and garbage bins when they went through the, the vaults at the electric, uh, I started to say electric landlady, electric ladyland studio that Hendrix had designed and built. Right, let's, let's move it right along. I think we're moving up to my friend Nappy Brown. Get out of bed. I'm full awake in the mines until I'm almost dead. I'm a coal miner. I'm a coal, coal mining man. And I guess I'll die with the shepherd in the down in the mine. Gonna strike a new vein. this day at a blues club once and some guy was heckling the great harmonica player great bluesman junior wells and junior wells turned to the guy and just stared at him with two eyes that might as well have been laser beams and he took the mic and he said hey buddy you heckling me this is my job you understand this is my job do i come to where you work and take your shovel and the whole club just cracked up laughing and he never got heckled again that night. Anyway, that's Nappy Brown doing a song called Coal Miner, an unreleased song that never came out till 2008. And the Brits, who are so great at doing reissues, I mean, I you know, the British reissues, be it on Ace or uh, Cherry Red or whatever, I mean, they're just so fantastic. Somebody found it was on Savoy, cut in the 50s, as I, as I recall, or early 60s. And Nappy Brown, now that's actually a nickname in his real last name. My British friends think it's some kind of scatological joke. It's not, Britain. It's not. Nappy cut the original little by little, and he also cut the very first version, as I recall, he cut the very first version of The Night Time is the Right Time. Everyone knows The Night Time is the Right Time. 
He was treated horribly by legendary tough guy and label owner Herman Lubinsky. When you got a guy whose name is something like Herman Lubinsky, think Bugsy Siegel. Watch out. Now, Nappy charted on the R&B charts fairly regularly, but he had no massive hits. And bizarrely, when I was at the University of South Carolina in the 70s, I remember Nappy Brown was one of the big stars of what's known as beach music in the, in the Carolinas and, and southeastern Virginia. Now, what beach music is, has nothing to do with the Beach Boys or Janet Dean or surf guitar instrumentals. It has to do with just sort of slow, lazy R&B kind of tracks that were popular at the beach Simple as that. He was a, Nappy Brown was kind of a beach star. And then by the time I was out of the university, I believe he was already cutting records as a full-time gospel singer. He started in the church. He ended up in the church recording uh, LPs well into the 80s as a gospel singer before he left us not terribly long after that. Now, that leads us in this next desperado, Tom Tumbleweed. Possibly when you see a record and the single has Tom Tumbleweed on as the guy's name, you think, was he born Tom Tumbleweed? No, he probably wasn't. No one's born Howlin' Wolf either. Tom Tumbleweed with a song we're going to play right now. It's called Tumbling Down, and it's from Old Town Records, Circa 62, and you're hearing it for the first time now because it never came out. Come on, Tom, take it. Your love has got me up, 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 riding high. I feel like flying But will you be around If I come a-tumbling Down, down, down So you can build me back up Up, up Riding high So high Top of this world, but will you be around if I come tumbling down, down, down? So you can build me back up, 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 riding high. I'll bet Fast Freddie Patterson's got a copy of that one. Woo! Tom Tumbleweed doing Tumbling Down. Cut for Old Town Records circa 1962. Didn't come out till 2008. I'll tell you one day how I found a copy, but we'll be here all night. Produced by the great High West, or High Weiss, I guess it would be High Weiss for Old Town Records. Never came out till well after the millennium, 2008. Go figure. Now, I got to confess, I had to ask some cats over here what was going on. And my R&B spies tell me this is a, a more notable R&B singer that I'm not free to say the name because they're not sure, but they think it's a different R&B singer that you know and love singing under a stage name. But we know that Tom Tumbleweed really isn't Tom Tumbleweed. Uh, I don't want to say who it is because maybe Fast Freddy or one of my record collector friends will laugh and say, not even close. But anyway, Tom Tumbleweed is his stage name. And you give me 50 quid, I'll tell you who, who, who we think it really was. Moving right along. 
Magic Sam, Magic Sam, a hero to Sid Griffin, a hero to rock writer Chris Morris out there in California, a hero to Los Lobos. You got to love him. This is a Magic Sam song called That Ain't It that didn't come out back in the day. And when we hear it, I'll tell you why. Great Magic Sam, we miss him, and I don't know why I picked up the wrong harmonica and played along. Do forgive me, folks. Carrie Bell, I'm not. That was Magic Sam doing That Ain't It. Now, when he, he had two late, he died in uh, age 32 in uh, December 1970, which broke my heart because I discovered him in September 1970, so you can imagine. And I've spoken about Magic Sam several times on the show, how the great Dick Waterman uh, was was helping him out and managing him. And my close personal friend, Denny Bruce, whom we know and love. Denny's out there in California. He's been under the weather. Denny, get better, brother. Uh, Denny was managing him, and Sam was going to open. He did open a couple shows for the Grateful Dead. He was going to be signed by Jerry Wexler to Atlantic. Unfortunately, his uh, ticker gave out on him gave out on him one early December morning in 1970. He never got to see the, the glory 
that was would have been his. He would have been the Robert Cray of his era. Anyway, the song, That Ain't It. Magic Sam had two albums on the Delmark label. There was no place on those albums for the tune because they're classic albums, West Side Soul and Black Magic. Classic albums that the guys in Los Lobos and Sid Griffin love to pieces, and you should too. I'll repeat those titles. West Side Soul was where this album, where the track should have been, and the other one is called Black Magic, both highly recommended on Delmark Records, D-E-L-M-A-M-A. RK. Uh, it's one of Sam's own songs. You're saying, well, Sid, if it was unreleased and didn't appear in the LP, how come you got one? As the Sam legacy grew and grew and grew, and his reputation grew, sort of like Gene Clark over the decades that uh, the two gentlemen have been deceased, Sam's legendary guitar playing, he had no pick, he used his fingers in it, didn't play with any plectrum, he got this great, almost Dick Dale kind of sound with, out of a reverberated Fender amp kind of vibe. Uh, Sam's legacy and reputation grew so Delmark cobbled together some tracks and put out a, a one LP one CD set called the Magic Sam Legacy and I think it's actually two LPs but it's one CD anyway put out the Mag- Magic Sam Legacy just about 10 years ago it's a fine LP it's got unreleased Sam it's got Sam uh, different versions of the songs that appeared on Black Magic and appeared on West Side Soul and I highly recommend it I recommend almost everything by Magic Sam and the reason I say almost is there's some records out there by Unscrupulous Pricks. Oops, bad language. Uh, by Unscrupulous P-R-C-K-S that have, there's no Sam on them, particularly ones where it's like a blues rock guy playing slide. Sam never played slide in his life. Anyway, we got to move on. And as they say in the Monty Pythons, and now for something completely different. Your boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain. Wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone, wherever I have gone, the blues run the game. Send out for whiskey, baby, send out for gin. Me and room service, honey. Me and room service, baby, me and room service, well, we're living a life of sin. When I ain't drinking, baby, you are on my mind. When I ain't sleeping, honey, when I ain't sleeping, mama, when I ain't sleeping, well, you know you find me crying. Baby, maybe to Spain Wherever I have gone Wherever I've been and gone Wherever I have gone The blues run the game Living is a gamble, baby Loving's much the same Wherever I have played Wherever I throw those dice Wherever I the blues run the game Maybe when I'm older, baby Someplace down the line I'll wake up older So much older, mama Wake up older And I'll just stop on my trying 
Catch a boat to England, baby, maybe to Spain Wherever I have gone, wherever I've been and gone Wherever I've gone, the blues are all the same Peter Torque said at Monterey, here's my favorite group, the Buffalo Springfield. But before then, we heard Blues Run, Blues Run the Game by Simon and Garfunkel. Now, that was recorded for the Sounds of Silence album in 1966. It is a song not written by Paul Simon, and therein lies a tale. Sit down comfortably. Are you with me? Got a Horlicks? A hot cocoa? Let's begin. Paul Simon was working the clubs in his native New York, in Greenwich Village, so on and so forth. He'd had some success as a member of Tom and Jerry with uh, Paul Simon. They had a song called Hey Schoolgirl. 
He was writing songs he'd scored with Sounds of Silence. They're recording an album now to back up the hit single because you had to have a hit single first to get an album. So they're recording the uh, second album for Columbia, this one called uh, Sounds of Silence, and it's 1966. Jackson C. Frank was a guy that Paul Simon knew from 62 or 63. They, they'd known each other a long time. Jackson C. Frank was a wonderful songwriter, as you can hear by that song. He'd been seriously burned in a fire at a school when he was a young student. So he wrote this song. It's probably his best song, but he's got a number of great songs, does our Jackson C. Frank. And Jackson took it to Paul Simon and, and pitched it. And it's, it's an undeniably brilliant song. It's just an undeniably brilliant song. So Simon and Garfunkel cut it. And it didn't come out on the Sounds of Silence album. New. About 2000, there was a, a reissue of Simon and Garfunkel's stuff. I think it was called Old Friends. It was a three-CD set that I was sent by uh, the people at Sony Music, uh, bless them, when I was back with a rock writer for Q and Mojo and all that kind of stuff. I was sent it, and I was astonished to see that there are all these outtakes and great, but the one that really blew my mind was Blues Runs the Game. Blues Run the Game. Just run, sorry. Blues Run the Game. That means blues is singular, because it was plural. It'd be Blues Runs the Game, right? Anyway, whatever. Um, and what I found kind of bothersome is Paul Simon did do right by Jackson C. Frank and got him some gigs and some money several times. But Jackson C. Frank many, many, many times hit up Paul Simon for help. And I guess it's several times in his life, he understandably thought, I've had enough of Jackson C. Frank. So they put on the Sounds of Silence record, Paul Simon compositions, two of which, in my opinion, are clearly substandard relative to Mr. Simon's usual fine output and clearly substandard relative to Blues Runs Blues Run the Game. And those songs are, We Got a Groovy Thing Going Baby. I mean, that's the song. We Got a Groovy Thing. That's just teen fodder. There's another one that Paul Simon wrote that made the album called Somewhere They Can't Find Me. You know, leaping down the alleyways, bang on the highways. I mean, you know, they're okay songs, but not as good as Blues Run the Game. Should have put that on the record. It would have given Jackson C. Frank some publishing dough, and he might have gotten off Paul Simon's back and quit asking for fivers. The song before... Woo, the song we just heard was Kahuna Sunset by the Buffalo Springfield, the great band. I, I just worship the B Buffalo Springfield. It was uh, recorded for the Stampede album in late 1966. It was going to come out on, that was their second album, which was never released. Now, the quick-witted and well-versed pop music fan out there will note that Native Sons, the album by the Longriders, our front cover is an homage, or you might want to say rip-off, of the Stampede cover by the Buffalo Springfield. In fact, that's how we got going because uh, Andy Childs and Jake Riviera and uh, Andrew Loader and all that crowd at Demon Edsel Zippo, the, the Nick Lowe, Elvis Costello crowd, they all recognized our front cover was a ripoff of Stampede since they were huge Springfield fans. Pete Frame, that's another guy. They all recognized that. And that's how we got going in the UK and Europe. And frankly, due to my great success over here, I've not changed a bit. Anyway, going back to the subject, it was the Springfield for the uh, Stampede album, which never came out. They finally released a second album, actually called Buffalo Springfield again after they shelved Stampede. It's a rare Still Young's Stills Young, that's Stephen Stills, Neil Young, if you're not hip, co-write from after that first album. Now, it's an instrumental, and I think it's supposed to be an instrumental, like Valley, that uh, tune uh, Lullaby for the Summer from Hendrix's album Valley of Neptune. 
somebody was telling me he thinks there was supposed to be lyrics for it. I don't know. Certainly this Kahuna Sunset, there's no way there was going to be lyrics for that. I just don't believe it. Just don't believe it. Maybe, but I doubt it. Nonetheless, with Stills and Young playing guitar, and I have no idea who's going dink, dink, dink at the end. I hope it's not me. It makes a really cool Hawaiian surf instrumental just the same. And where do we go from here after an instrumental? Well, I'll tell you where we go. After the Springfield, we're going to go over to Blighty. And one of the greatest acts ever is going to do a tune for us. And you've not heard it, unless I'm grossly mistaken. Certainly not by this band. so many fabulous songs this wasn't on an LP I had one Kinks fanatic in Europe tell me that he thinks this was on a, an EP from I don't remember Italy or something like that and I had another Kinks fanatic tell me it was over here and then a third Kinks fanatic say no it, was, it never came out that version was never released till 1998 on a compilation by Castle Communications now you guys probably know the Pretenders did a fine version on their second album, and many of you gossip mongers will remember that Chrissy Hine was going out with Ray Davis. God, forty years ago, time passes, and uh, Chrissy, you don't look a day over thirty in those forty years, no sir. And in fact, I see Ray Davis every once in a while in London. I, I've seen him on the street, and he he looks and clocks my appearance. I think I've said this on the podcast before. He looks and clocks my appearance with a relatively long hair and the hip look that I have on my face as I trot around 
European capital cities. And he always looks away like, here's a guy who knows who I am. And he's right. I do recognize him. I do know who he is. Anyway, came out in 1998 in a compilation by Castle Communications, that particular version. First version was by the Applejacks, a uh, North of England band who doesn't really matter. They weren't that great. That was about 65. It was also cut in a pretty good version by Cher, without Sonny, on her first or second solo album back in 60, late 65, or was it 66? And of all people, it's a great one for Peggy Lee. Now, I don't know how much my rock and roll obsessed podcast listeners know about Peggy Lee, but it's perfect for Peggy Lee. Just perfect for her sort of melancholia, torch ballad, saloon song kind of thing. And let's let's talk about this. The Kinks matching. They had the R&B thing going with You Really Got Me until the end of the day. Then they moved into crazy psychedelia stuff and See My Friends and Number one hit in the summer, England won the World Cup with that uh, sunny afternoon. And you think, this guy's writing so many great songs. They didn't put I Go to Sleep on one of their you know major albums. It's like, huh? He, he, he gave it away. And, and uh, people raced to cover it. They had like eight covers. Think about this. He was writing hits so fast that not only did they miss that one, the Kinks never cut this strange effect. You can find this strange effect done by the Kinks live for a BBC session. And I think it's on uh, studio versions on one of their box sets. There's at least two major Kinks box sets out of their 60s and 70s stuff. Now, this strange effect, uh, I started to play that instead of I Go to Sleep, but this strange effect was a hit. A hit as in, do you dig? A hit in Benelux for Mike Barry. I think it's the guy that did the crying game. Anyway, Mike Berry was a big deal in the UK and a really big deal in the continent, an English singer, and he had a hit with this strange effect. Now, imagine you're writing so many great songs, you're like Noel Gallagher for those first two Oasis LPs, and he had stuff left over for that Outtakes album. What was it called? The Master Plan, I think? You're writing so many great songs, you, you don't bother to record I Go to Sleep or This Strange Effect. I'm talking about that guy was hot as a $2 pistol on a Newark, New Jersey Saturday night. Let's move along to a guy that's Hot in his own sweet way. Ladies and gentlemen, my man, Rocky Erickson. This is the 13th Floor Elevators!
Jefferson Airplane got a lot of their sound. Oh yeah, think of that was Marty and Grace singing the lead. To be fair, the late Paul Cantor, leader of the Jefferson Airplane, said many times that uh, the 13th floor elevators in early 66 blew minds at the Fillmore and the Avalon and all those those early, early venues in San Francisco, as did the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. And typically, the two pioneering bands of the era, the Paul Butterfield Blues Band with Mike Bloomfield still in the fold, and Rocky Erickson's terrific 13th floor elevators, they didn't get much credit. They're cult bands to this day. And the people that took things from them, and I don't begrudge them for doing so because music's a free thing and you learn from your peer group and you learn from your heroes. And people that learned from them, like the Jefferson Airplane, certainly, or maybe even Quicksilver Messenger Service, they're much better known than the 13th Floor Elevators. And poor Paul Butterfield, we'll get into him another show. Anyway, that's called I Don't Ever Want to Come Down. Yes, people are saying that your record collectors, my record collector friends, rather, are saying, Sid, that's not an unreleased often album thing. It was on Bull of the Woods, the fourth and final Elevators uh, album of their four original albums. Yeah, I know, but Bull of the Woods is a collection of just stuff that's left on the floor. And so like that, the Birds track that we started with, I Know My Rider, which was on the Murray Hill Birds reissue called, I think, Never Before from 86. This song, which came out in 68 or 69 on the Bull of Woods, was actually from early 67. And it should have been on the Easter Everywhere album. Easter Everywhere is the second 13th Floor Elevators album. The first one's called The Psychedelic Sounds of the 13th Floor Elevators. And I can't recommend those two albums enough. It is amazing that they cut so much great material for those first two killer albums that I Don't Ever Want to Come Down was just left, you know, sitting on the bin. You know, Leland Rogers, Kenny Rogers' brother, was the producer, and they didn't even put it on an album. It came out two and a half, three years later on Bull of the Woods. So actually, it is, it well, it is and it isn't legit for this uh, this podcast. It should have been on Easter Everywhere. It's such a great track. I don't ever want to come down. I'm repeating myself because when I talk about the 13th floor elevators, I get excited. They were terrific. And if there's one thing I love, I love to big, big up those writers, directors, actors, musicians, rock groups that should get some kudos and, and just don't. So that's what I'm doing there. Let's move forward to two people who weren't psychedelic, but could have done almost anything they wanted to in the record industry whatsoever. We're going to hear from Otis Spann, and then we're going to hear from Lady Soul, Aretha. No more fooling with you. Take one. Take 
We started off. That was Lady Soul, of course. In fact, stay there. Don't anybody go anywhere. I'm going to go get the record that it's from. Hold on. Stay there. I'm walking across the floor. I should have had it, but I don't have it. That's why my voice sounds funny. I'm going to get it. It's called... I got it. Here we go. Right. Come back to the desk. Don't anybody go anywhere. The podcast... Hey, did you go get a soda pop? I hope you didn't. Right. The first thing we heard was Otis Spann. The last thing we just heard with me yelling and screaming as I danced around the room was Aretha Franklin. Let's talk. Otis Spann, No More Doggin, from the album Biggest Thing Since Colossus, or actually from the complete Blue Horizon Sessions, a 2LP, 2CD set, which came out. Hold on. It's on the floor over here. It's on the floor over here is right. It came out in, uh, hold on. Where's the lights in this house? Hey, what is this? Oh, the packaging's falling apart. I think it says 2005. And what that is, is uh, people don't know who Otis Spann is. Jeff, oh, I can't, uh, Jeff, I'll, Jeff of New York, who doesn't want his last name on the show, is a famous manager. And he told me his, his hero was Otis Spann. I thought, man, are you and I blood brothers or what? Muddy Waters said there's never been a greater blues pianist than Otis Spann. The complete Blue Horizon Sessions, the song No More Doggin', specifically, the complete Blue Horizon Sessions is, duh, all the stuff he cut for the Blue Horizon label. The biggest thing since Colossus is the LP he cut for the label. And there's a lot of Flotsam and Jessam that didn't come out, singles of this, that, and they're on the LP. So that's not from the biggest thing since Colossus. Have I confused you already? I bet I have. But it was recorded at those very sessions. Who's playing on it? Sounds good. Peter Green is on guitar, John McVie on bass, Danny Kerwin on guitar, and the great S.P. Leary on drums, and Otis Spann on piano. So you got two of the great Chicago bluesmen of all time, S.P. Leary on drums, Otis Spann on piano. The song never saw the light of day. Cut early 1969 in Chicago. Well, it did see the light of day if it came out in 2005 or whatever, Sid. Wake up. And how amazing. Uh, Mick Fleet was at the sessions, but Span said, no, I want S.P. Leary to, to, to uh, play the drums on this. A great, great meeting of hippie long hairs who understood and knew the blues, which certainly Peter Green did, and Chicago bluesmen. Fabulous. It, it took, what am I saying? It took like uh, 40-something years for it to come out, but it finally did. Then into Aretha Franklin's That Was So Soon, an outtake from Aretha Arrives. Aretha Arrives is her second LP for Atlantic Records. Um, I love her first LP for Atlantic Records. I never loved the man the way I loved you. Aretha Arrives is really good, but it does have some weird covers like 96 Tears and You Are My Sunshine. Now, it also has the big fat hit, Baby, 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 I Love You, I Love You, which he cut uh, in New York City at the Atlantic Studios with Jerry Wexler producing. Whoops. Don't make that, don't bump that microphone thing, Sid. Oop, did it again. Anyway, so this is So Soon, which should have been on Aretha Rives. It did not come out until, please be in big print, my eyes are small. 2007, Rhino did a reissue of Aretha Franklin's Atlantic stuff called Rare and Unleashed Recordings from the Golden Reign of the Queen of Soul. And that really does about sum it up. Aretha Franklin, God knows I am a huge, huge fan which means we've got one more song left until I don't. Uh, you guys won't hear from me for a while. I don't get to do as many podcasts as I like. We're separated, my friends, by the walls of time.
Listen to those lyrics. Bluegrass Boys. You all know I love bluegrass. We're ending the show with Bill Monroe's classic Walls of Time. Let me tell you a little bit about it. They were playing somewhere in West Tennessee around Memphis, and Monroe and Peter Rowan were driving a couple of cars back up to Bean Blossom, Indiana. So they had to get through Tennessee, go across western Kentucky, about Owensboro Way, Bowling Green, then into Owensboro, then up and into Indiana, and go to Brown County, Indiana, and drop off at, of all places, yes, Nashville, Indiana. Yes, Monroe's uh, Bean Blossom Festival and, and campgrounds is actually in Nashville, Nashville, Indiana. Anyway, so Monroe stopped the car, waved Rowan over. This is 1965 or 66. Waved Rowan over because they're in a two-man convoy going back up to Bean Blossom from Tennessee. And somewhere in Kentucky, Mon- uh, Monroe pulled him over and, and, went, went over and said, went over to Peter Rowan, the great Peter Rowan, who wrote Panama Red and uh, the Free Mexican Air Force and a bunch of, and oh, Midnight Moonlight, which my band, the Cole Porters, C-O-A-L, the Cole Porters did on the Durango album. Thank you, Carly Fry. Great songwriter, Peter Rowan. But at that time, he was playing the guitar for Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys, and he was Bill's right-hand man. He's one of the first young, hip guys Monroe had in the Bluegrass Boys. Long story short, as he goes over to Rowan, he says, Pete, I want you to memorize this, memorize this melody. And he goes, and goes through the melody of the song. And there, Pete has, you know, this is 1965 or 66. Pete has no way of recording it. So Peter Rowan told me, as he's told interviews, because I've asked him about this, he said, I went all the way to Bean Blossom, Indiana, singing it over and over and over for like an hour and 20 minutes, whatever it was. Because it was the only way he could memorize it. it, was just to keep doing it and doing it, doing it. Rather, it's the only way he could avoid forgetting it, I should say. So shortly after that, they wrote the song together. I suspect it's Rowan's lyrics and Monroe's melody, but who knows? Anyway, shortly after they put this song together, cobbled this brilliant song together, Walls of Time. It's a bluegrass standard. It's been done a lot of folk bluegrass acts, a lot of uh, country and western acts. Um, Amy Lou Harris did a fine version with Sam Bush playing along on the album Live at the Ryman. Check that one out because Amy Lou's version is really good. Monroe was miffed that Peter Rowan quit the act. So he waited a few years after Peter Rowan split and recorded the song with the Bluegrass Boys when Peter Rowan was elsewhere. I think he was in an earth opera or something like that. And my late friend, the great Roland White, sang the vocal with Monroe and High Harmony, even though Roland White wasn't even in the band when uh, Rowan, Rowan and Monroe cut the song. It was cut in 68 with my friend Roland White singing and playing guitar, Pete Rowan being elsewhere. Monroe could hold a grudge. Let's put it that way. Anyway, that's our show. Hey, hello, how are you? Now it's goodbye. Gotta get going. God bless you. I'm out of here. My name is Sid Griffin. I want to thank my engineer, Kevin Stokes. I want to thank Sonia for her dulcet tone. She's the absolute greatest partner a guy could have. Love you, Sonia. Friends, I've got to get Shecky. He's got to get the jet. We've got to get out of here. God bless you, each and every one. We'll be back in six weeks, a couple months, some damn thing like that with another podcast. Arrivederci, Roma!